Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Sometimes during worship, um, I stand in the back because I like to watch you. I know that sounds creepy, but you encourage me when I can hear you and watch you worship. And I was standing back there and somebody had walked in the back door and I just shook his hand, greeted him. I've known him for years. He just said, it's so good to be back. I I haven't been back in a long time and been watching online and love the fact that y'all are watching online, but he said to me, it's just not the same. (laughs) There's something about being here. And he just went on to say, he goes, like, this is our house, man. This is God's house, and this is where I got baptized. And I was like, that's an interesting statement. He identifies that he belongs here and that this is, that you're his people because he said he got baptized here. So I'm just saying this, if you've ever had a turning point at this church and you've come to faith in Christ here, rededicated your life to Christ here, the, the next step after believing is getting baptized. And it's this thing that right behind us, there's a tank up here. I know it's called a baptismal, but it, it's a tank. Um, It's literally a hot tub. Um, And that's where we do baptisms. It is going underwater and coming up. It's the symbol of the death of our old life and, and rising to our new life. And we do that in front of people because of this. It encourages you and your story, and it encourages those sitting out here. That you are with God and you're with us. And we're going to be doing some baptisms here in two weeks. And so if, uh, if that's appropriate for your relationship with God, let us know. You can email Mary at churchonthehill.com. And this is all you have to say is just text or email her this. Just pastor dunk me. It's March Madness, right? People, come on, stay with me. All right. Check that off. Don't do that again. Here's, uh, here's where we're headed today. What are we going to do with Jesus? We've been in this series um, called The Story of Jesus, and some of you are exploring this. You're exploring Christianity. You're not sure about it. Maybe you grew up with a different faith, and we're super glad you're here. Some of you, you've been a Christian a long time, but it's just kind of, I don't know, you just kind of were born into it, which no one's born into the Christian faith, right? But you're like, man, I've been doing this Christian thing for so long, and maybe you need to re-explore who Jesus really is, and are you really following him? There's all kinds of people between that, but how I want to start this morning is talking about the fluidity and the dynamic nature of relationships. Like, they, they ebb and flow, right? Let me prove it to you. Ladies, you're dating someone, right? And you're like, man, this guy... He's great. He's attractive. He's smart. He's kind. He likes me. And he's even got a job. (laughs) And and so what's happening is the more information you get about him, you're doing this. The dynamics is that you're moving closer together. You're spending more time together. And emotionally, you're getting closer together until you're riding in the car together and he's driving and you look over at him and he's over there and he's, he's biting his nails. And he's taking the trimmings and he's putting them in his cup holder. And you're like, 
that's disgusting, but you don't say anything because it's a new relationship. And you peer over into that cup holder, and it's full of nail trimmings. And that relationship that was going like this is now going like this. Dynamic and fluid relationships. We're moving closer together or farther apart. And what I what want to make sure I protect here is this. is You know, if you're married and you look over and he's... Right? It's not that you're saying, oh, we are moving apart, forget it, the marriage is over. No, no. But there is this emotional thing happening, right? There's this emotional thing that, you know, you're not abandoning the marriage, but that's why you look at him and you say, um, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and by the way, guys, I'm not throwing us under the bus, right? Okay? Because Lord knows that women have some disgusting habits as well. It just does not benefit us to bring those things up right now, Okay? Do you agree with me that relationship... No, not the part of do you agree with me that they have disgusting habits. Do not say amen. It will not do you well. But do you agree with me that there's this emotional coming together and moving apart in relationships, right? You with me? The more information you get and experiences you have together, there's movement. And I tell you that because that's what we're going to take a look at right now. The, the story of Jesus, we're in week 21, 22, I don't know, I lost track, walking through this story of Jesus in the book of Mark. And as we're looking at this story, there people that are following Jesus are getting more and more information about who he is. And you're about to read a story in Mark 14, where some people are moving away from Jesus drastically, and others are moving towards him. And there's some people who are lost in the middle. So I want you to see this for yourself. Look at Mark 14. Open up your Bibles, whether it's on your phone or if you're old school like me and you choose paper Bible. Um, This is where we're going to go today. Mark 14, chapter 1. The story begins like this. Now the, power, uh, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests... And the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Well, it certainly is one response to Jesus, right? They, they want to kill him. Their response to Jesus, though, has been going on for years. See, in Mark's story, he's telling the three-year period of Jesus' life. And during that three-year period, he starts writing about people when they first wanted to kill him. You know what chapter? I mean, there's 16 chapters in Mark. The the first mention that Mark makes of someone wanting to kill Jesus is in chapter 3. Seems kind of early to hate Jesus. But it was interesting because the thing that spawned that for them was Jesus on one of their, their holy days, on the Sabbath day, where they weren't to do anything but honor God, he heals this man. And when he, when he heals this man, the religious leaders get all upset with him. Like, don't, don't, don't do that, Jesus. Don't, don't be breaking our rules. You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day. He's like, listen, listen. For a holy God on a holy day, don't you think we should do things that benefit people and are good to them? And they're like, no. <laughs> Just don't do anything. It's against our rules. And it says at that moment, they, they, from that point on, they wanted to, to kill him. Now, The, the religious leaders, their response is that they tried to secretly find ways to arrest Jesus because the momentum was running in his favor. 
If you remember a couple weeks ago when Jesus was marching into Jerusalem and he's there with a crowd of people, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means God save us, God save us. I mean, he's got the popularity down with the people. And the religious leaders, they don't like it. But it's in this chapter that the religious leaders find a convert to their side who's moving away from Jesus. Do this. In the text, look down and jump down to verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Think about it. Judas had been traveling with Jesus for years. Slowly but surely, he's getting more and more information about who he is. He's accurately seeing Jesus for who he, uh, who he claims to be. He's one of the select group, one of the select 12 men to be closest to Jesus. And here's Judas's response. It's in your notes there. Judas rejected Jesus. He just rejected him. The question is this, like, what motivated him? What changed? I mean, you were with him for three years, and somewhere in the midst of there, you turned against him to betray him. Now, let's be real clear. Mark doesn't actually say what motivated Judas. We don't actually know. Let me give you a little bit of information. Maybe it was greed. Matthew tells us that Judas was offered these 30 pieces of silver. So was he motivated by greed? I mean, was Judas seeing this opposition to Jesus rising? And he knew that at some point, maybe he would have to get off the Jesus bus, right? And maybe the money was the thing that just threw him over the top. And he's like, you know what? If I'm going to get paid for this, I'm, gonna, I'm not down with Jesus anymore. Like, I'm not one of his crew anymore. And man, if I can make a little money on top of it, then let's, I'm in. When Luke and John tell the story about uh, Judas, they reference the fact that the, the devil entered him. Wow, that's a pretty big spiritual statement. So maybe the thing that drove him over the top was that he was actually possessed. We don't actually know. Maybe the third reason, maybe it wasn't greed, maybe it wasn't disappointment, or maybe it wasn't greed or possession, maybe it was disappointment. You see, for Judas, being this zealot, wanting to have God's people freed, maybe his agenda was this. We want to overthrow these Romans. We want the Jewish people to be free, to rule themselves. And he's looking at this entrance into Jerusalem and all the people saying, God, save us, God, save us, God, save us. And the, the momentum of Jesus' uh, propaganda rising, right? But somehow in the midst of this, he can't get away from the words of Jesus that three times already he's made this statement. The Son of Man, he's referring to himself, we're going to enter Jerusalem, and when we do, he will be handed over to the authorities to be spit on, flogged, whipped, beaten, and killed. And Judas is like, wait, 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 wait. That's not what should be happening here. Like, my, my plan was that you were going to rise up and we were going to overthrow. And he's like, no, I'm going to die. By the way, he also claimed he would be resurrected three days later. But this just wasn't happening according to Judas's plan. And so maybe in the midst of there, he just got so disappointed that he decided he's going to reject Jesus. Let me ask this question. Why do people reject Jesus today? And it, it might be the road that some of you are on. And I know that you're like, well, dude, I came to church. I'm not rejecting Jesus, but hang with me for just a moment. Some people are unwilling to see Jesus as the only Son of God. 
They're like, he's a great teacher. Seemed to have some great morality. But to believe that he's actually the son of God, who, him, who is himself both God and human, and died on a cross for our sins, I, I can't believe it. That's a rejection of Jesus. Now, see, people who grew up in families that they didn't have this Christian faith, they believed something else. Like, in, I don't know, you grew up with just a different faith. That you have to come to a part where Jesus says, this is who I am, and it might not agree with the faith with which you were raised, and you come to this point to either accept or reject. It's either a movement towards Jesus or away from him. There's some people that go, listen, listen, I'm good with reading the Bible. I'm, I'm really good with going to church and checking out Jesus until I came to like something that was written by John in John chapter 14. Where Jesus says this, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven. No one has this eternal life except through me. (laughs) That's exclusive. That is not inclusive. That doesn't mean that like, some some people have these thoughts. Um, There's just a lot of ways to God. Jesus is just one of them. All these religions, you know, they're all kind of the, the same, worshiping the one same God. They just call him by a different name. Or maybe there's just a lot of different paths to God. And when you start getting to know Jesus and really looking at his words and who he is becomes sharper and sharper into focus, it brings you to a point of decision to go, how I was raised is not in line with what Jesus says. And so I have to make a choice. Am I in or am I not in? I choose to either reject or accept. Are you with me now? This happens all the time. And so Jesus claims this exclusive way to God. But some people will struggle with that. And they may decide, I don't know if I can believe that. No, clearly you know my hope, right? (laughs) My hope is that everyone here. Everyone in this valley would say yes to Jesus. But it is this moment where we know this, that some will not cross the line of faith and ask for the forgiveness of their sins, that they will reject Jesus. This story continues. Judas's response was to do what? To reject Jesus. Make sure you're with me. The next step, though, is highly in the other direction. And it's this story of a person named Mary who revered Jesus. Verse 3 picks it up. It says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, this isn't just words on a page. You've got to put yourself in the room. There's a bunch of men sitting around having dinner with Jesus. And they say this, he's at this guy's house who's the host. His name is Simon the leper, Right? It's just kind of a cruel thing that men do to each other. We give each other nicknames. This guy's nickname is Simon the leper. We don't know why, but the assumption is that he had leprosy. He had a disease. And if he's there, he, was, he, did no, he had no longer had leprosy, right? Jesus must have healed him. And now he's known as Simon the leper. It's a cruel thing that we do to each other, right? Simon the leper, what's up? And they're at his house, celebrating And this is the same town where Jesus healed Lazarus. Remember we learned about this last week? Um, Matthew and John 
actually tell the same story that Mark does. But in their story, they give us a couple different details. And one is this, that Mary is there and Martha is there and Lazarus is there, not dead. This is after his resurrection. Can you imagine that kind of meal? They're honoring Jesus, the one who brought Lazarus back to life and healed Simon the leper. And Mary does something crazy. She's not even supposed to be in the room. This was a meal for men. Sorry, ladies. And she comes in and she gets on her knees and she takes out this flask and doesn't just uncork it as if I'm going to use a little. She breaks it. She comes behind Jesus and she just pours every last drop on his hair. And she anoints him. See, it was Mary's brother that was brought back to life just days earlier. I mean, for a brother that you love, how appreciative are you of who Jesus is and what he just did for you? And Mary just worships him and reveres him. The word revere means to honor someone. To have this amazing, deep respect. Now, if you have a relationship with God today, through Jesus, and you know what Jesus has done for you, you know the sacrifice, the agonizing death he paid on the cross, and you know the life that you used to live, and what God saved you from. Some of y'all have had some dramatic stories. Like, you used to be like this, and you were not a good person. And God rescued you from that. I know who I would be without Jesus today, and it would not be pretty. Maybe he not only saved you from your sin, but maybe he saved your marriage. Maybe he saved your kids. And out of that, you have this opportunity to revere him. And so I think what Mark is doing, he's setting up Mary as the opposite of Judas. Judas who rejected him, and Mary reveres him. And he just reminds us, as followers of Jesus... Be ready to revere him and thank him and out of gratitude, not just feel it, but express it to him. <clears throat> now, you, you would think that that act of worship that Mark writes about that happened in that very room, that the other disciples would get it and be like, wow, she really appreciates Jesus. That's amazing. She's kind of the model. We should do more of that. That's what you would think they would say, right? Not exactly what happened. Look at verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. Pause for just a moment. When someone disagrees with someone, this is how it rolls, right? They don't talk to her right away. They're like, did you see what she did? She just, I can't believe it. She just wasted that all on Jesus. And they talk together before they talk at her. They said this to one another. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. They don't applaud her. You know what the Greek text actually says? They snorted at her. <laughs> I don't know if that's a snort or not, but. <clears throat> they had just a guttural response to this woman interrupting their dinner and doing this thing that revered Jesus. And they're like, Ugh, what are you doing? You just wasted all of that? Man, that could have been sold and given to the poor. 
You wasted it on Jesus. And so they, they, feel, they feel free to criticize her. But what Jesus does next is pretty awesome. Verse 6 says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we step in to revere Jesus and express our gratitude to him. And he goes, wow, that was, that was beautiful. He says, the poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, we don't know if Mary knew that she was doing that. We don't know if she knew he was going to die and that this was for his burial, but Jesus says this is, this is what God had planned. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. By the way, Jesus is not saying helping the poor doesn't matter, right? We clearly get this. He, he said things like this. If anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. He was all about supporting the poor. He was all about generosity. But in this moment, this lavish gift, he's like, well, if you're going to ask me, what would Jesus do? Jesus would do what Mary just did. And worship and revere him. So, here's what happened with the disciples. Judas rejected Jesus. Mary revered Jesus. But the disciples, they replaced Jesus. You might be thinking, what does he mean by that? I think they replaced Jesus' agenda with their own agenda. They had an opinion about what Jesus would do, right? You know those little bracelets that used to be big in the 80s and 90s? What would Jesus do? WWJD. Well, you know what? If you want to know what Jesus would do, read the scriptures and then ask him, Jesus, what would you do? Because the disciples are sitting there with Jesus and they're like, you know, listen, what would Jesus do? Jesus, let me tell you, you're not getting this right. Mary, you shouldn't be doing that. And they have an agenda. And their agenda is sell that, give it to the poor. It's interesting because I think it's in Matthew's account. Um, he attributes the person who started that whole discussion was actually Judas because he was the one in, that held the possession of the money for the group. What I think is interesting today is that we have a lot of Christians with a lot of opinions about what Jesus would do. We have Christians on both sides of certain issues. Both claiming that, you know, you can't be a Christian unless you believe like this. And you can't be a Christian unless you believe like this. And there's two people on opposite sides of the same issue claiming that they know what Jesus would do. Maybe it's a good starting place is to come back to worship and revere him as our Savior and Lord and ask him what he wants rather than really dominating our opinions on things. I, I think there's a few things that Jesus said that maybe you and me, we would be tempted to replace. Replace Jesus' agenda with our own agenda. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, when Jesus said this, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think we would love to replace it with this. Cancel those who, you are, who are your enemies and shame them on social media. Isn't that what happens? And it's not by those out there. It's by people who claim to follow Jesus. Do you really believe, have a core conviction inside of you 
that what is going to drive you is this. I tell you, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. Really? Or maybe we have a different agenda that's replacing Jesus' agenda. Give you another example. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. And I, I think Jesus' view of what generosity looks like, we would like to replace with, Jesus, keep your hands out my wallet. Oh, no one laughed. That's not funny. It might actually be convicting. Because, come on, if we're honest, we want to say, Jesus, on Sunday, I'm good. But I don't want you to tell me how to date. I don't want you to tell me actually how to be married. That Jesus, I don't want you to tell me how to be generous. I just want to define that. What's mine is mine. And there's just certain areas that like, man, I'll give you this, but you can't have this. But man, if you really read through the Gospels, there's an awful lot of Jesus saying, am I your Lord? Am I the one in charge? Or is it your agenda? And are you replacing my agenda with yours? Are you with me? Are we okay? Pastor's being mean today. There's other examples we'll go with, but let me just give you one more. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you... Oh yeah, some of you know this. If you love one another. The one thing that will define you and that people will go, oh yeah, that's one of those Jesus people. Yeah, that lady over there, she's a Jesus person. Here's how I know. That guy over there, that's a Jesus person. This is how I know. It's actually how they love each other. It's weird because sometimes we believe that they'll know we are Christians by our convictions, by the truth we espouse. And so what happens is this. Listen, listen. Instead of loving people, because we sometimes value uh, truth, and don't get me wrong, truth deeply, deeply matters. There's only one way to get saved, and it's through Jesus, and that is the truth. And there's an awful lot of truths in this scripture, but it's interesting that Jesus would say that the way that people are going to know who you are, it's actually by the way you love each other. So instead of loving them, we really find a lot of value and identity in correcting them. Listen, I get it. There's a lot in this world that needs to be corrected. But that's not how they're going to know that you're actually a follower of Jesus. It's actually how you love them. And listen, this kind of grates on me. And if I could replace uh, Jesus' agenda with my own agenda, I'm like, no, no, no. It's, I get it. It's speaking truth in love, right? It's another thing that Jesus said. So I'm not trying to take one verse and explode it out of proportion. But he did say the one way that, that you're going to know, that they will know that you're mine, it's how you love them. Not how you correct them. We can reject him, we can revere him, and those are the two ends of the spectrum. But somewhere in the middle, there's some believers, his disciples, that they're just replacing Jesus' agenda with theirs. So it brings me to this, and uh, I'm going to have to move through this pretty quick. It's this, is we just cannot redefine Jesus. So when it comes to us, listen, we can't redefine them. Have you ever been in a community group, a small group, uh, where people are sharing the Bible and you're talking about it and someone says, well, you know what that verse means to me? Or what Jesus means to me is, and you're like, 
I, I know we all have to interpret the Bible, but it doesn't really matter what he means to you or to you or to you because Jesus is who he is. And the writer Mark writes about who Jesus is regardless of our opinion. And so the question becomes, why did, what is God trying to communicate in that? What is Mark trying to communicate in that? Instead of saying, well, this is my opinion about that. And again, we have to make interpretations. But at the same time, do we actually start redefining Jesus by what's most comfortable for us? We cannot redefine who Jesus is, why he came, or what he expects of his followers. This is how Jesus defined himself. Let me just read you a few of these statements. He defined himself by his death and his resurrection. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This is how people are saved. That's Jesus' claim. That's always the, the uh, this is always the facts about what it means to be a Christian and to have a turning point. It's to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and to prove it, he was resurrected back to life saying that I will go one day and prepare a place for you. And do you believe that he did that? The only way to get there is through his death, paying for your sins and proving it by his resurrection. He also identified himself like this. No one comes to the Father except through me. The, the Christian claim is exclusive. He also said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's salvation. Again, the high priest asked him, this is in Mark, we'll come to this next week. Uh, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? He's asking him, are you God's one and only Son? And Jesus says in this text, I am. He claimed to be God. It's actually what got him killed. He didn't get, he wasn't killed, by the way, it's not against his will. God knew this was going to happen. Jesus was up for it. He knew that his death was going to take place. If he, God didn't want him on that cross, he would have taken him off. If Jesus didn't want to be on that cross, he could have taken himself off that cross. He allowed that to happen. But in his death, he claimed to be deity. That's what got him killed. We cannot allow Jesus to just be a teacher, a moralist, our friend, He's the one and only Son of God. So what do we do with Jesus? I'm going to give you four quick things. The Christian faith means this. Number one, we receive him as our Savior. The fluidity of relationships you are moving towards, moving against. The receiving is something that you do once in your life. Because once you are adopted by God, he, he will never boot you out of his family. He doesn't kick you out like, oh, I messed up today. God must not love me. I must be outside of his family. It doesn't work that way. There's people who will teach that, and it's a lie. Once you're adopted into his family, you're his. You belong there. Second thing is when you receive him as your savior, it's repent of our lives that dishonor him. Let's not just keep the same lives he's always been living and just add Jesus to the mix. That's not how it works. He says repent and receive. So we got to turn away from some things. And listen, it's hard, guys. You know this. I've been a Christian for a long time. And it, I still find it difficult to turn away from the things that dishonor God. Receive him. Repent of our lives. Um, third, rely on him to transform us. 
I love Romans 12 too that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say transform yourself, change yourself, live your best life now. (laughs) It says this, be changed by who? God. He changes us. But how? By the renewing of your mind. So it's our responsibility to keep putting things in here that are truth, that are of God, and watch him change you. We can receive him, repent, rely on him to transform us, and revere him as our God. I think Mary's story is so significant here about how she worshiped and revered God. Let me close this down. Maybe you're at a place today where Jesus is becoming more and more into focus for you about who he really is. And maybe you're at a point where you need to decide, I am either going to reject him or I'm going to receive him and revere him. And I just bring that to you because I just know this, that every Sunday there's conviction that happens around this room, that there's some of you who are exploring who Jesus is. There's an opportunity to cross a line of faith and say, I really do believe it. There's not many ways to God, and there's not many gods. There's one true God and his son, Jesus. Because, by the way, Jesus is the only one who ever died for the forgiveness of sins of all the religions of the world. And so maybe today is your day that you're going to cross the line of faith and say, I'm in. I'm ready to receive. And for those of you that are Christians, can I just maybe invite you to do something today? Just do a little soul searching of where your agenda might be replacing Jesus's agenda? It's a tough question. As you read the story of Jesus in the book of Mark, you might realize that there's something that's out of alignment. Whether it be your kindness, your love, you've been choosing comfort over self-sacrifice. You've been choosing to do marriage a certain way, and Jesus is like, no, there's actually a better way. And would you just repent of that and realign with how he wants you to live because he loves you and he does have a great life in store for you but he definitely wants it to be run by his agenda that's why we call him our savior and our lord because he's in charge let's bow our heads let's pray god i thank you for today i thank you for your word and lord i would pray that there'd be no one who rejects you today but they receive you they revere you and they worship you If when I say that right now, that that is you, I would just invite you to pray right where you're at right now. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I turn my life over to you. God, I've been in charge of my life for a long time, and it's not going well. God, would you change me? For those of you that you've been replacing Jesus, would you dedicate back to him that you're going to follow him even when it's hard? And God, I just pray for those in the room that are making these decisions right now that you would would help them. We know that you accept us when we ask for forgiveness. We know that you allow us into your family and we're so grateful for your adoption of us. And God, would you keep changing us from the inside out? And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said,